The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, Market Watch edition. My name is Andrew Keshner, and I'm a reporter with Market Watch, where my beat includes taxes. And it's that time again, tax season. The IRS began accepting and processing returns on Monday, January 23rd. Everyone wants the biggest uh, refund they can get, the smallest possible tax bill, but there's always twists and turns to get there, whether it's new laws and changes. Um, To help me sort out on what to expect this year, I'm here with Twyla Midwood. She's the president of Advanced Tax Center in Rockledge, Florida, and she's been in the tax industry for more than three decades. Uh, Twyla is an enrolled agent, and among her professional affiliations, she's a member of the National Association of Enrolled Agents. Uh, Twyla is the president-elect of the NAEA and has served on the association's board of directors and was recently uh, chairing its government relations committee. Twyla specializes in individual, in estates and trusts, corporate partnership, small business accounting, and as well as IRS representation. Welcome, Twyla. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Pleasure to be here. And uh, hopefully we can give some good information to your listeners. (laughs) Thanks. So let's start with a general question. I mean, it feels like every recent tax season kind of has its own storylines, its own themes. Last year, part of it was coping with the frustrations at the IRS while still trying to make sure you got everything that was coming to you through all the pandemic uh, boosts to tax credits and, and deductions. Um, it's early, but what is this year? What is this tax season shaping up as? What's different? What's the same? And what's still unknown? Um, still a lot of unknowns. It's early. Um, hopefully for the past two, three years, every tax professional has been hoping for a normal season. Uh, I can say here in Florida, we don't have a normal season yet as because of the hurricanes uh, last uh, fall, the extensions, those returns that were on extension and due in October, they now have until February 15th to file their tax returns and make estimated tax payments. So for Florida residents, that's our little um, conundrum. And then for California, Georgia, and Alabama, because of their storms, their tax deadline has been extended to May 15th for this year. So it's it's early and things are already ramping up, but we don't have the stimulus payments uh, to deal with this year. That was really quite the struggle the past two years. So we'll see come April 18th. <laughs> uh, all right. So on that note, on April 18th, let's just, you know, talking about dates, um, just a recap on the basics. What happens on April 18th? And what if I what if I get an extension? What does that allow me to do? And what does that not enable me to do in the eyes of the IRS? 
An extension is only an extension of time to file your return. So if you anticipate owing taxes, you're required to remit those payments with the extension. Otherwise, penalties and interest will incur from the due date, April 18th, until they're paid. So a lot of people um, think that extension gives them time not to pay their taxes. Um, but the, the penalty for not filing an extension is much greater than the penalty for not paying your taxes. So even if you know you're going to have a balance due, if you don't have the money to pay those taxes, file that extension and stop that penalty of failure, uh, failure to file. So that's, that's pretty critical, but send what you can with that extension. And generally speaking, what happens on April 18th? What is that the deadline for? For uh, filing the extension, uh, making your, your payment for taxes, or filing your tax return. Got it. All right. Cool. It's always, it's always, always good to go through those, those basics for people again and again. Um, so let's start with refunds and tax bills, what everyone really cares about a lot. Um, most individual taxpayers get a refund, but the IRS is already warning that there's going to be some cases this year when refunds are going to be smaller compared to last year. Uh, why is that? What's going on there? There's so many changes under the um, uh, uh, new laws. There's so many changes to the credits, uh, the dependent care credit the child tax credit, the earned income credit. Um, those were pretty generous in 2021 and they're kind of going back. That was just a one year. Uh, so they're kind of going back. So a lot of people that received refunds as a result of the increase in either or in all of those credits um, are not going to see that this year. So, from that standpoint, uh, yes, it's very possible a lot of people uh, will see smaller refunds or um, have a balance due. Uh, but on the flip side, those people, I don't know if you want me to go into this, um, right. just not about credits, but uh, 2021 was a really banner year for investments. A lot of taxpayers saw huge capital gains. Um, dividends, their investments were paying high dividends. So those taxpayers that had investments in the market, um, they tend to have balanced dues last year or smaller refunds. Well, we all know what the market has done in 2022. Uh, so um, they're not going to see that type of income from their investments. And if the sold any of their losses, you know, harvesting the, their losses, unfortunately, those losses are limited to the gains up to $3,000. So while we have to pay tax on all of our gains, we're limited on our losses. So we're stuck there. So those people, they may be okay this year, especially if they made estimated tax payments based on their 2021 uh, income. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up, you know, the market being market watch. Um, talk a little bit more about, I guess, capital gains 
capital losses and tax loss harvesting? Is that a lot that you're already, I know we're early in the, in the season, but are you starting to hear from clients like about, um, you know, tax loss harvesting and, and trying to do what they can to, you know, make the best of a, of an awful investment year last year, at least from a tax perspective? We probably have been working with uh, taxpayers' investment advisors more this year than in the past. Uh, we try to have that relationship with our clients and their advisors just because they do go hand in hand. Uh, but this year, because of trying to take advantage of losses, um, we taxpayers are, but again, they're limited to that $3,000 loss. Uh, so it's, it's unfortunate. And to uh, emphasize, if there's, let's say, a $10,000 loss with no gains to offset that, um, the $3,000, you're limited to $3,000 a year. The remaining $7,000 is not lost. It is carry forward uh, to future years. So you'll get your $3,000 every year. But it's unfortunate. And the $3,000 loss limitation, um, it's been $3,000 for so many years. I can't even tell you when it first came uh, about, but it's uh, Congress has not increased that limitation. So speaking of Congress, uh, we are a couple months after the Inflation Reduction Act, um, which was this um, one of uh, a massive legislative package, climate aspects, tax aspects, 80 billion in funding for the IRS, um, and corporate tax rule changes. Um, but I, one thing I, I'm really curious about is the credits attached to clean energy for um, for electric vehicles um, and for clean energy in in home upgrades. Um, you know, the dust is still settling very much on, on, on the finer points here, but what, what should people know about the inflation reduction of those provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act and, uh, in, for this year and, and in the coming years? Oh, my gosh. There's so much um, that, like you said, pertaining to the um, electric vehicles, and it's not just 2022, 23, some of this is projecting out into 2025. Um, in 2022, the credits, the credit hasn't changed, but the allowance, um, the requirements for the re uh, credits has changed. Um, for example, in 2022, there was no um, income limitation. It didn't matter what your income was. You could still if qualified, get that credit. However, in 2023, they have um, put an AGI limitation on your income uh, on the credit. So, and there's also a price limitation of the vehicle um, and it has to be your original use. Um, however, in 2023, they did include used electric vehicles uh, so you, you can now get a credit on a used vehicle, electric vehicle. It's not as good as a brand new one. Um, but then again, you're not paying as much for the vehicle because it is used. Um, 
they also did add a um, fuel cell credit on the vehicles. It was just the vehicle. And now there's also for the fuel cell, that credit has certain limitations. Um, I think a big one that we may see in 2024, you can make an election to have that credit transferred to the dealer. So it's going to reduce your price of that vehicle. Um, but what's very important to know is when you file your taxes, um, and of course, this is um, 2024, we don't know how that's really going to play out. But what we do know is uh, if you were not entitled to that credit and you transferred it to the dealer, you are going to have to pay that back through your taxes. So even though you're transferring it to the dealer, it's not over and done with. So taxpayers are going to really have to keep an eye on their income to make sure that they don't disqualify themselves. And also remember that by transferring that credit to the dealer, that is reducing the basis of that vehicle. Um, so for example, let's say it's a $50,000 vehicle, you get a $7,500 credit. The basis of that vehicle is now uh, $42,500. If you were to turn around and sell that vehicle for $48,000, you're thinking, well, I paid $50,000, I don't have a gain, but you reduced your basis. So you do have a gain. So it's important to keep track mm -hmm. of those. So very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in, in anything, any thoughts on the, the tax credits connected to like home improvement, clean energy there, or, um, there, there are some, they did change, um, quite honestly, off the top of my head, it's, it's fallen out of my head on the home energy, um, credits, but there were some major changes to those as well. Um, it's one of those the credits are one of these things on the vehicles and the home energy that before you jump in and do anything, uh, taxpayers should consult their tax advisor and see what, what are my limitations? What do I need to do? Am I eligible for the credit? And some of these credits are non-refundable. So if they don't have a large enough tax liability, they're not going to take advantage of the full credit. Yeah. 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 It, no, I mean, there, there, there's still so much that we're all soaking up from, from that. Um, it, you know, one thing, uh, I guess while we're talking about the inflation reduction act, one thing is the 80 billion that went to the service for, for, in, you know, more enforcement for technological upgrades for better customer service, um, let's put it in context. Uh, what was last year like for you, for taxpayers, for your colleagues, uh, all trying to deal with the IRS? Um, one word, nightmare. It was, <laughs> it was a nightmare. Um, trying to get through uh, to IRS, um, even on the practitioner priority uh, service line, which is a line dedicated just for um, practitioners who are currently working a case with their client. Um, those were nightmares. Uh, I would, they opened up uh, 
certain departments, campuses would open at seven in the morning, I would be at my office, finger on the button, seven o'clock, I push the button and I could still have an hour and a half wait time. Um, you hear story horror stories where it was hours and hours. And then there were many times that you finally got somebody and then the call dropped or it was what we call a courtesy disconnect. Um, so it was very hard to uh, provide these services for our clients just because we couldn't get through. And according to the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, they are entitled to representation. And we just, it was very difficult to do our job. Very difficult. So that was last year. Um, and I know we are, you know, it is very, very early, but what have you seen this year so far? Um, myself, um, I have gotten through the first, um, it was a couple of weeks ago. I, I tried calling and whenever I call on behalf of a taxpayer, I have their documents, but I also have other stuff in the ready to be working on while I'm on hold, listening to their on hold music. Um, and I got through and within like two minutes, somebody picked up. Uh, and I even said to the um, uh, representative, I said, I'm not ready. You know, I'm not, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for a two minute hold time. Uh, I did thank them for that. Uh, but I'm also hearing from colleagues that the hold time is uh, less and less. So, Hopefully, um, the hiring of the new representatives, it was greatly needed. That funding was greatly needed. Um, my concern is, um, and no disrespect to IRS uh, representatives that are helping people, but my concern is the hiring of all these new people, uh, their training, they're, they're new on the job. And so I think it's very possible that as um, a representative of the taxpayer, we may have to do a little training of uh, the service uh, just because they, if there's so much to know in their defense. There's so much for somebody to know and to try and help taxpayers that I think they may have to rely on us at points to say, no, that's not in the code. That's not in the manual. Um, and that will be a challenge, but hopefully, hopefully I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, the, I, I remember doing a story that came out this week where uh, uh, the Treasury Department said that they've, they've hired 5,000 uh, new customer service representatives. And the goal is to have them trained and in place by President's Day weekend when the call volume really ramps up. So we shall see. We'll see. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, what, one more thing actually while, while we're um, on the Inflation Reduction Act is um, the element on audits. So there is, there is actually more than half of the 80 billion over a decade is dedicated to more enforcement. In, and I think there's a lot that they're still figuring out as to how, you know what qualifies as above 400,000, which has been the Biden administration pledge not to you know audit below that rate. There are things to be figured out. But for a general sense, uh, you are someone who represents taxpayers um, 
in audits. Um, from where, from from where, I mean, what's it like for a person to be audited? Um, what's the process like? Well, when they get that that letter, when they first get that letter, um, fear, um, you know, a taxpayer, nobody wants to be audited. Um, and even if you're squeaky, squeaky clean, uh, it's just it can be very time consuming. Uh, it can be scary and overwhelming. And taxpayers need to realize that IRS has um, so many tools in their arsenal of getting information from you. And so the first thing that they're going to, not first thing, one of the things that they will ask for are copies of the returns, uh, bank statements, any and all bank statements with your name on it. Um, You know, if mom and dad put your name on their account years ago and it's still on the account uh, 20 years later, your name's on that account. They can request to see that bank statement. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize that's one of the things in an audit that IRS, it's follow the money. Uh, Money coming in, uh, where did that come from? you had $100,000 flow through your bank account as money coming in, your paycheck is only $75,000. So we have a little disconnect there. So the audits um, ramping up, uh, yes, because they did go down, obviously, pandemic uh, that caused everybody to stop being in the field and a reduction in the audits. Uh, But I guess as soon as a taxpayer receives that letter, if they don't have a, a professional that's prepared their return or know somebody, they need to find somebody that can represent them. And of course, the best first place to start looking is the National Association of Enrolled Agents. <laughs> a little plug there. Huh? <laughs> a little plug there. Uh, but we are credentialed. Uh, NEA is a credentialed. Uh, tax preparer. And I think uh, taxpayers need to be uh, made aware that mm, they're not, anybody can hang a shingle and say, I'm going to prepare returns. Uh, You could have very little knowledge of tax. Um, Anybody can do that, but it's really in the taxpayer's best interest to seek out a credentialed tax preparer who has continuing education is required to take that. When you interview a tax, I'm going off on a different tangent here, but when a taxpayer interviews a new tax preparer, inquire about their credentials, inquire about their um, continuing education. Um, Do they get by with the bare minimum or do they go over and above to get that education? Uh, So the first thing is, find somebody that can represent you. And, and no knock against enrolled agents at all, but I mean, that could also include accountants and tax lawyers as well. Um, you know, who have those sorts, same sorts of, you know, continuing education credentials. A CPA, not, they have to be a CPA, enrolled agent, or a tax attorney. Um, mm-hmm. We all fall under Circular 230, uh, which is IRS's, um, guide for us uh, what we have to live by in, in uh, our profession. So that any one of those uh, three people 
Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So, so let's take take a step to another end of year twist. It, it was actually kind of it, it would have been a bigger twist if it happened, but it but there was um, a bit of a dust up over uh, this form called the 1099K, and um, and the money that got beamed over accounts like um, PayPal or Venmo or um, you know your transactions on eBay. Um, can you? Um, explain to listeners what was going on there and, and um, what ultimately the IRS decided to do uh, on this issue? Absolutely. Um, it started out uh, that for tax year 2022, um, any payer that um, if you had any transactions of $600 or more through Venmo, PayPal, Um, those type of third-party networks, uh, they were going to issue uh, the taxpayer, the Form 1099-K, and report that income. Um, That's huge. Uh, There's a lot of people that sell personal items uh, through PayPal, Venmo, or various transactions. Um, And I don't think uh, they had their ducks quite in a row so for 2022, that did get changed to $20,000 and uh, 200 transactions. So now the threshold is higher uh, to meet that, but it is according to what's slated right now, that will be the $600 threshold will come into play for 2023. So it's time to start thinking about that because According to IRS, it will they will lower that threshold. In in that that twenty thousand um, in two hundred transactions, that was the the old status quo. They just hung on to that for one year, one more year. Correct. Um, so so if if I am, uh, I, I mean, I guess what kind of planning should I do now, especially if I'm a small business owner or even like a micro business, like I, I sell on the side and I, I just don't want to be blindsided by this rule next year. Um, any tips? Um, for a business owner, just like anything else, keep records um, because that 1099K is going to report your gross sales. Um, in any business, you report your gross sales, but you are allowed to take all legal, necessary, and ordinary expenses against those. So I think for the business owners, it's not they've been receiving them through their credit card companies. Um, I think it's going to be more of um, the individuals. Um, I sell a piece of jewelry on eBay for um, $1,500. We're using the $600 threshold when it goes Mm -hmm. back to that. Mm -hmm. I sell a piece of jewelry on eBay for $1,500. I'm going to receive a 1099K from eBay at the end of the year reporting that $1,500. And of course, IRS gets the same document. So there's a matching. I get it and IRS gets it. I've got to put that on my tax return. However, IRS says when we sell our personal items, If there's a gain, you're required to report that gain. However, if there's a loss, you can't take the loss. But for matching purposes, 
if I sold that item for $1,500, I received the 1099K, I need to report that 1500 is income, and then uh, under adjustments, report the $1,500 limit. Because even if I paid um, $2,000 for it, I can't take that loss. And, and I guess maybe that that requires figuring out like your your basis, uh, you know, the starting point of it all. So. And again, if you're going to be selling or doing any transactions on these uh, third party networks, uh, it's very important. You have all of your records to substantiate any um, basis that you're going to come up with. Yeah. Um so just before we start to wrap it up here, just some some other things that are going on. Uh, I mean, we are still we're in this moment where more people are going back to the office more and more, but there's still remote work um, for sure. And there's still hybrid work for definitely for sure, where, you know, you're in the office a little bit and then you're um, yeah, at home another bit of the time um, for remote work and tax, like income tax purposes or state income tax purposes, uh, what do I still need to remember? Every state is different. Um, their nexus rules are different. So if you're doing remote work for various states, um, it's very important that you find out what their rules are. Um, and if you are going to be subject to that state income tax, make sure you have state income tax withheld from your pay. If you're an employee, if you're an independent contractor, you want to make sure uh, you meet the estimated tax payment requirements if applicable. But that's, unfortunately, I can't give you a one size fits all answer. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's always, it depends as, as, as you were telling it me. It depends. Yeah. So, I guess one last question, because we're talking about hopefully a smoother tax season Um, from where you stand as a tax professional who's been doing this for a while. um, What's the best pieces of advice you could impart on listeners and anyone who just wants their tax season to be as stress or as hassle free as possible whenever it comes to taxes in the IRS? Um, Any any pro tips? Um, save all your documents, uh, save your receipts. If you're going to take deductions, uh, save your receipts and do those throughout the year, uh, waiting until January to put everything together, especially if you are able to itemize, um, and you have a lot of medical, it's a nightmare to try and put all that together, um, at the last minute. So do it as you go, seek out a tax professional, um, and, Possibly do some tax planning during the year to make sure you're not caught off guard at the end of the year. That is all the time we have for today. Thank you, Twyla, for joining us. Thank you. Uh, and thank you. Me. Oh, yeah. And thank you, audience, for tuning in. Uh, we hope you listen to our next episode tomorrow. Barron's associate editor for technology, Eric Savitz, and deputy editor, Alex Ewell, will discuss the outlook for tech companies and individual stocks. Thank you for listening. Be well and have a nice day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.